0: chapter 2. A year after my first Playboy Mansion invite, I had become something of a fixture at the infamous Sunday fun-in-the-sun pool parties. After that fateful Midsummer Night's Dreams party, Heather and I started getting invited back to the mansion regularly. What wasn't to love? Bikinis, drinks, food, music, and friends. And without fail, the sun was always shining on Hev's little corner of heaven. He wouldn't have had it any other way. Without the massive tents and fake grass that the staff sprawled out for the Midsummer Night's Dream soirees, you could really appreciate the true beauty of the property. Lush landscaping, rolling green hills, and exotic birds that roam freely throughout the grounds. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was truly an oasis in the middle of Los Angeles and a life so unlike my own that I almost envied the women that were able to call this magical place home. Of those women, the glamorous Bentley Bentley twins had already exited the mansion by this time, leaving an opening for a new crop of blondes to emerge, most of whom also wound up being published in the magazine as playmates in rapid succession. In the Playboy culture, it's considered an honor to be chosen as the magazine's playmate of the month. The large pictorial includes a poster folded in the center of the issue, hence the name Centerfold. An even bigger honor was to be chosen as the magazine's playmate of the year, Every June, a winning playmate is selected from the year's previous 12 candidates and is awarded $100,000, a new car, a new pictorial, and a cover. Most girls who rotated to the playboy revolving door pray that they might eventually be chosen as a playmate so that their names would be in contention when it came to time to choose the playmate of the year. Heff's new girlfriends weren't all necessarily playmates, but they definitely all aspired to be. In fact, to an outsider, it could easily be misconstrued that the only way a blonde was eligible to be featured in the magazine was to date its editor-in-chief. Month after month, they appeared. Bran Roderick, Buffy Tyler, Katie Longman, Kimberly Stanfield, Tina Jordan, and three of Hef's other girlfriends were in the process of shooting soon-to-be-published playmate pictorials as well. Hundreds of women were invited to each mansion party, so of course, not all of them could be playmates. Some of the Playmate hopefuls, unable to land one of those 12 coveted spots, modeled for less prestigious, minor pictorials in Playboy or for pictorials on Playboy.com. The guest list for the Sunday pool parties was much more selective, so I have to admit, I was flattered to have been included. Only 20 or so girls were invited to these more intimate events, flashing the day away. Yet, I was, yet it was rare to see any of Hef's then seven girlfriends at the pool party for any length of time. I remember it striking me as odd that they chose to hole away in their mansion bedrooms, but I didn't give it much thought beyond that. I would later realize that they considered it dues that they no longer needed to pay. As for Hef, he would tuck away in a corner of the pool and play backgammon with two friends, usually the only other males allowed to be in attendance. Occasionally, they would stride over and join the girls in a drink or a game, but they mostly kept to themselves and always focused their attention on Hef. After all, they wanted a repeat invite, and Hef, without actually saying a word, made it clear that the girls were solely for his amusement. The staffers, who strictly refused all tips, were readily available to wait on us hand and foot. The mansion gym was available to any of the girls who wanted to work out during the party. Perhaps a red flag to the expectations placed on the women of Playboy, and a masseuse was on call in the bathhouse for guests looking to further unwind. One afternoon, I was freshening up in the bathhouse and talking with a girlfriend when a woman named Nicole bounded in and introduced herself. She was very sweet, but I could barely stop gaping long enough to get a word out. This woman had the largest breast I had ever seen, so large that it looked like the implants were struggling to escape from under her skin. The masseuse had to go rustle up an extra sack of towels just so Nicole could lie on her stomach for the treatment. Years later, I was living through an issue of Playboy and recognized the busty blonde from the bathhouse. Only this time, her name was Coco, and she was married to the rapper Ice-T. It's been her booty that has earned her the most attention, but strangely enough, I didn't notice her butt as unusually large back then. When the light would eventually dip below the heels and yet another picture-perfect sunset, the service staff would busy themselves with, rep- with preparations for the evening's dinner and movie screening. The pool party guests would excuse themselves to freshen up as the festivities moved inside. Eventually, some of the girlfriends would trickle down from upstairs and idly take their obligatory seat next to Hef at the dining table for the pre-movie buffet. I could never understand their lack of enthusiasm. They seemed to have it all. Initially, I assumed they were spoiled, jaded, or just not a good fit in Hef's world. Maybe they hated the social scene or hated watching old movies every week. Since those were things I happened to love, I couldn't understand it. Because I was an L.A. transplant, the the concept of being fake was still a little bit lost on me. Don't get me wrong, I was familiar with fake tans, fake nails, and of course, fake boobs, having already undergone my breast enhancement surgery. But I didn't have any idea how insincere and calculated people could be. It never dawned on me that the girls I was about to be spending a lot of time with had ulterior motives beyond simply being friendly, and that all of their encouragement was just for show. As I'd come to learn, they saw me as a useful pawn in their twisted game of playboy chess. In those early days, Vicky and Lisa, two of Hef's live-in girlfriends, were incredibly welcoming. The other girlfriends weren't particularly mean, but they didn't exactly wear all the red carpet either. I knew that the role of girlfriend was coveted by many and fleeting for some, so I expected the women to be defensive, protective, and quite frankly, bitchy. Especially this crop of girls who looked more like garden-variety strippers than dazzling playboy bunnies. I was surprised at how wrong i thought i was they were accepting and encouraging some more than others and vicky one of the more seasoned girlfriends even offered to take me under her wing as i navigated this new foreign world it didn't really occur to me that they had their own agenda which i would soon learn the girls would rattle on about how glamorous it was being a girlfriend and how every girl that moved into the mansion would eventually become a playmate They all had a weekly allowance to buy club clothes and get their hair and nails done and the afternoons free to spend however they like. As a girlfriend, you just needed to be available on the nights when Hef hosted events at the mansion, went clubbing in Hollywood, attended red carpet parties, etc. This may sound naive, but I didn't immediately realize that they were actually required to sleep with Hef. Back then, none of the girlfriends talked about it. When I inquired about those more intimate duties, Vicky fiercely denied that anything sexual went on with Hef. It's all for show, Vicky said, explaining that the whole thing was basically a Heff-orchestrated publicity stunt. The girlfriends were simply dazzling arm candy to help keep up his Playboy image. It sounded more like a job than an actual relationship, and they sold it to me so matter-of-factly I was able to overlook what this job really sounded like. Heff's former girlfriend Katie Lohman had recently left, and Vicky told me that when she went on Howard Stern after scoring her centerfold, and cheerfully denied that any of the girls slept with Hef with a a dismissive laugh, she was promptly kicked out of the mansion. Years later, I found a taped copy of the interview in Hef's press collection with a skull drawn on the label. He must have really hated that one. I would be lying if I said I still didn't have dreams of one day scoring a pictorial in Playboy's iconic pages, and mansion parties were a fun way to spend the weekend, but my main focus was either pursuing an acting career or going back to school. I didn't have time to be Hugh Hefner's on-call trophy girlfriend seven days a week, nor did I really think I had what it took. When I first started coming around, Hef was dating the Bentley twins, the two sophisticated glamazons that seemed to pay homage to the glory days of Playboy. With the right hair and makeup, I considered myself a pretty girl, but Mandy and Sandy looked like movie stars. After they departed the mansion, the sloppy seven invaded and lowered the bar not really sure who like the sloppy seven are (laughs) but uh this is gonna be interesting so we're definitely getting into some of the more details about the people that she really wasn't friendly with i don't i don't remember off the top of my head um the sloppy seven um i'm sure we're gonna figure that out as we go but um i think now we're starting to kind of get into um some of the um turmoil between her and the girls so we'll go ahead and continue. Over the past year I had been working long hours to afford my rent and I'd been auditioning like crazy. Luckily I had no trouble getting an agent and even managed to land a few bit parts here and there. They didn't pay much but it was but it was enough to encourage me to continue pursuing my dream. My two closest friends hadn't been as fortunate. Heather had given up and decided she was moving back to Pittsburgh. My roommate Nora hadn't landed a single thing either. The lease on our apartment was ending and she told me that her parents had agreed to pay her rent on a new lease, but only if she had her brother, an alcoholic who needed constant babysitting, move in. Just like that, I had to go. It was like that scene in Bridesmaids where Kristen Wiig gets booted from her apartment by Rebel Wilson and her on-screen brother, only not funny. Nora knew I had no credit and was broke as a joke. I couldn't believe she was doing this to me, but as hopeless as as the situation seemed, I refused to go back to Oregon. Not only did I not want to burden my parents, I also knew that leaving now would set back any progress I had made in becoming an actress. The desire to perform is what drove me to Los Angeles and the thought of returning home miserable and still dreaming of Hollywood killed me. I started to wonder, couldn't couldn't Playboy help me reach that goal? I'd seen it before. Baywatch Hawaii executive producer Michael Burke was a mansion regular and Hef's former girlfriend Brandi Roderick landed a leading role on the show shortly after appearing as a centerfold. The more time I spent at that enchanting Holmby Hills compound, the more I started seeing opportunities like these. It's very easy to get transfixed by the magic of this curious world where even the impossible seemed possible, where a small-town girl could rub elbows with movie stars and be made to feel like a fantasy. I would spent so much of my youth searching for that kind of opportunity, and it seemed Playboy could hand it to me on a silver bunny blazoned platter. One weekend, while waiting outside the mansion's front door for the valet to pull up my old beat-up car at the end of Sunday fun day, I looked up at the glowing and second-story windows and wondered what it would be like to call that place home. It looked so cozy and safe. Vicki had once given me a peek inside her room, and I was surprised at how much it looked like the type of room I would have liked to have. The plush bed was covered in pink candy-striped satin sheets and piled high with Playboy-branded clothing. Free gifts for Heff's girlfriends. Disney paraphernalia was everywhere, from a recent shopping spree at Disneyland, all on Heff's tab, of course, and a dreamy window seat overlooked the backyard. We even ordered cheeseburgers from the kitchen, which may not sound like much, but it was. Once upon a time, Heff's guests could order whatever they wanted from the kitchen. Whenever they wanted. It was even said that Jack Nicholson used to treat the mansion as a drive-thru back in the 70s. He would call the butler's pantry ahead of time, order a meal, and have it brought out to his car as he drove down the driveway. After the food was delivered to him in a paper sack, he would supposedly speed out the back gate with even so much as a hello. Since then, guest access to the kitchen became a little more limited. But Hef's girlfriends could still order whatever they wanted, 24 hours a day. To me, someone who used someone used to scraping together pennies to order to eat at Burger King, this was on another level. I had to admit, the whole girlfriend thing was starting to look pretty appealing. Around that time a few of the girlfriends had suggested that I come out with them for one of the bi weekly club nights. One of the girlfriends, Kimberly, had recently been kicked out, which meant that there was an open spot Hef was ready to fill. Talk to Hef, Vicky encouraged, after I confided with about my housing problems. Never did it occur to me to simply approach him myself. It also never occurred to me that the then seven girlfriends wanted me around only because of my ordinary appearance and that it was non-threatening. They wanted to make sure whoever filled the empty space wasn't competition. On Sunday, I worked up the nerve to mention the idea to Hef when he finally appeared poolside. I'd love to come along with you the next time you all go out, I said, bracing myself for a less than exuberant response. Much to my surprise, he immediately took the idea and invited me to join them that coming Wednesday. Awesome, I cheered with a little hop. Thank you. Hef seemed amused by my childlike excitement, but quickly turned back to his friends. When I found Vicki to share the good news, she filled me on all the details. I was to meet Hef and the girls at 10 p.m. in the mansion's main entry hall, dressed to impress in my sexiest club wear, before heading to Las Palmas, Hollywood's hottest nightclub. Every girl at some point has uttered the phrase, I have nothing to wear, but in my case, it was sort of true. I spent the next three days staring at approximately ten items of clothing hanging in my closet, wishing that something appropriate would magically appear. I figured that if Hef approved of how I looked, maybe he would consider and offer me a role as a girlfriend. It felt like a long shot, but there was always a chance, and my alternate options were becoming more and more grim. I would not be going back to Oregon. I just couldn't. Still, I was too embarrassed to ask any of my friends to borrow anything, probably because doing so, meant I would have to field questions I wasn't prepared to answer. Eventually, I decided to pair a black mini skirt and a baby blue top with a metal mesh overlay that tied in the back. After anal- analyzing my every angle in the bathroom, I took a, few, a deep breath, jumped in my car, and made the 10-minute drive to Hugh Hefner's place. I pulled into the driveway at 9.55, petrified that I would be the last to arrive. I was always a stickler for punctuality. I quickly discovered that there, that was a rarity at the mansion. I waited in the entrance hall for more than 10 minutes before any of the ladies made their way down the cascading old English staircase. There was another girl waiting downstairs named Candace who appeared to be auditioning for the open girlfriend spot as well. She was quick to tell me that she had already been out with the group the previous Friday and also how hip was fond of her. In passing, the mansion looked decadent, but when you take the time to look around at all the nooks and crannies... It was very neglected. I would come to refer to the decor as 70s porn chic. At the time, there were nine dogs living in the mansion. And most and the ancient yellow carpeting on the grand staircase was covered in urine stains. Ew, that's disgusting. I remember thinking that the carpet must have been older than any of his girlfriends. That being said, at the time, it was by far the nicest home I had stepped inside. At this point, like all the girlfriends started to arrive. Um, and she says that they were um, in ascending order, newest to oldest. Um, and the names of them, I'm not going to go down their last names, but I'm going to kind of briefly summarize. This was April, Adriana, Lisa, Vicky, and um, his main girlfriend. Her name was Tina Jordan. And uh, she said that all of them um, have like stripper heels on and uh, kind of trashy looking. Uh, she said, I would have thought that Hugh Efner preferred his girlfriend sexy and retro, but his taste was surprisingly cheap. Uh, Tina and Hef did not arrive until everyone was already in place. Uh, One of the butlers arranged us all in the hall and snapped a few pictures for his scrapbook before we pulled into the limousine. When they finally arrived at Hollywood, the scene outside of the nightclub was absolute chaos. Um, This sounds very like 2000s, because it says says 2001. (laughs) Um, Von, D- Von Dutch trucker hats women in there just dying to be mistaken for Britney Spears' face um, clamoring over one another to get attention of the resident doormen stationed behind the red velvet robe from the looks of it you would have thought Oprah was inside giving away free cars <laughs> um, once the door opened there were four security guards and each of them made their way out um, they kind of waited there and then at the end he finally came from the car and everybody went wild People were shouting his name and shoving one another to get a better look. So for decades, he was a homeboy, a homebody, and they say that he created kind of his own paradise. That's essentially how the Playboy Mansion came to be. Um, he just didn't like to go out, so that he created. Everything that he could need there at the mansion, Um, so he just he didn't have any reason to leave. And then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, he was rarely seen out. So nobody he wasn't like the big party thing that he was during this time. Uh, In 1999, he had separated from his then wife. Her name was Kimberly Conrad. Um, And some of his friends suggested that he go out one night. So um, he did, and that's when everybody kind of realized it was a big deal. People were really excited to see him. Um, So it just became kind of a thing for him, and that's where he met the Bentley twins. immediately started dating them and that's also whenever he um took on another blonde her name was brandy roderick i think it's brandy i'm gonna say brandy because that's the way it looks but um so that's how he kind of became to be um the guy with all the girlfriends that's sort of how like the girls next door playboy bunnies thing came about because that's where the kind of like the girlfriend started so it just became like a thing after that So after Holly gets there um, with the other girls, um, they go into like this VIP table and they have like all these alcohol and mixers and like this was bottle service and um, a lot of security then. Um, She said that like if a guy tried to approach them, the security would escort them outside. But this is also where the girls, she finds out, are using opportunities to meet other men because they were basically held up in this mansion all the time. I mean, you have to think like during their, this is probably like their prime years, like their early 20s, um, if even that, I'm guessing how old they were. So, um, yeah, they would, that's kind of how they would meet other people. Uh, she says that most of his, um, girlfriends had other boyfriends. Um, and she does, she does point out that, um, during her stay, the only two that didn't were her and Bridget. Um, but she says that all of this was very hush hush because they were forbidden to do that and if for any reason that he found out that you had another boyfriend, and you would be kicked out immediately. But she does say that this isn't like because of a jealousy thing. It was more because of the persona and you had to appear um, that you were all about him essentially. So you couldn't be seen with other people. So she's dancing and she basically stays with Vicky all night and then she says that <laughs> that he gets up and starts dancing, and that she realized, like, oh my gosh, like, she was kind of laughing in it, but he didn't see that, she thought he was kidding, but, um, turned out he was serious, um, so she was kind of, like, mortified, she says, oh my god, I thought, I mean, I was genuinely mortified by him, um, had no one told him how silly he looked, so, essentially, <laughs> that's kind of what was going on at this point, okay, and then, um, so she, she's saying that at the time she couldn't really figure out why the other girls were, not really telling him that he was it was kind of embarrassing but that she didn't really want you know she wasn't really like a girlfriend and she didn't want to stick out or tell him that at this time but I am gonna read some from this particular um, part of the book because it's probably going to be pretty important later um, she says that but like all the glitters and sparkles this opportunity wouldn't come without a steep price would you like a quailude? he hath asked leaning towards me with a bunch of large horse peels in his hand held together by a crumpled tissue no thanks I answered cheerfully as if I were interviewing for a job. I don't do drugs. Okay, that's good, he said nonchalantly. Usually I don't approve of drugs, but you know in the 70s they used to call these pills thigh openers. I laughed nervously, unsure of what to say. I was proud of myself for saying no, it was the right decision, but I still felt in control of the situation and was prepared to tackle whatever may come my way with sober eyes. Today I want to scream pause and freeze frame that moment in my life back in late August 2001. And say, what the hell were you thinking? Okay, so this appears to me that clearly, uh, I don't know much about Quayle's, but I do know that that's the thing that Bill Cosby, that was involved in that Bill Cosby situation. So, um, I think this is, you know, I wanted to make sure that I kind of read word for word what she says on that so that I don't get anything misconstrued. Um, But it kind of makes you wonder if that's sort of what all was going on here she says that she um she didn't take the pills at the time although she looks back now and says you know obviously that was a major red flag but at the time she wasn't in a a situation where she felt like she could like run I guess because she didn't really have anywhere to go and she was kind of trying to figure out where to live at the point so she ends up getting kind of drunk well I'm not gonna say kind of drunk but she says like she was very very heavily drunk so they get back in the limo and um they're getting they're on their way back And that's whenever Candace leaned over and told her that um, all of the girls, including her, were expected to go with Hef into his bedroom. Um, And that Candace kind of had like this small look on her face. But um, Holly was incredibly surprised by this. And she had been told that none of them were actually intimate with him. So she was a little confused at this point. She says at this time that um, she basically figured, well... can't be that bad because clearly these other girls are here so i mean like what's the worst that can happen here let's just go ahead and like she was a little drunk she was like i don't want to do anything essentially that will um make him like not want to let her live there so she ends up going in they all go into this room they they go upstairs um they go into uh, this bathroom and all of their feet are dangling around like this hot water. So she follows what they're doing. She puts her feet in the water. She says it after because they shed heels on. So, you know, it all felt really good. Um, and then as they're just kind of sitting around, some of the girls take off and they go into this room, this little darkened room, I'm guessing off to the side. Uh, she says that they all hated the bedroom routine and tried to get it over with as quickly as possible. And then Tina, the main girlfriend, gives her, um, a set of pink flannel pajamas, because that's what they're all supposed to wear, which she thinks at the time is hilarious. Um, so she follows them all, and they all go into the bedroom, which is dark at the time. She says he's kind of a hoarder, so there's, like, crap all over the floor. So, um, there's, like, uh, say two TVs or one TV? I'm gonna have to go back for just a minute. Um... Two. There were two televisions at the time, and they were watching, like, um, like graphic, you know, porns and things like that, and he's sitting in the middle, and he's, like, smoking um, a joint and kind of passing it around, and basically all the other girls are kind of, like, laying on the bed, sitting on the bed, standing around. They're all taking turns smoking this weed together, basically pretty much all naked at this point. So, she sits on the edge of the bed, and at the time, the only one that she felt comfortable with was um, Vicky. So she kind of like sits behind her thinking maybe nobody will notice me. And so she says, she pulls it in her ear and tells her just to kind of fake everything and that she'll explain it later. So that's kind of the idea of what she got at that point. So essentially she's kind of looking around the room kind of paying attention to what everybody's doing and what she says is that like the other girls were kind of pretending to do things to each other and um really they were kind of like laughing at each other but she said the music was so loud that unless you were right there at him you couldn't hear so essentially they were all faking this none of them were really doing what he thought they were doing um Um, and she said that she doesn't even know at the time if he even cared that all this was fake or if he even knew that this was fake. But the reason that they always like to bring new girls in was because they kind of wanted the lessen the chances of, the, of them actually having to do anything with him. So the more girls there were in the room, the less likely that he would call on one of them individually. So then Vicky basically takes her and makes a statement to about don't you want to be with the new girl so essentially she doesn't go into a detail, but she says that it was over as quickly as it started thank god and then he was on to somebody else it was very quick um and then by the end of it he was basically just by himself so by this time they all leave they're all going back to their rooms and um she totally forgot that her clothes and her purse were there but they go back to them and they start ordering fries and cheeseburgers and all that stuff so they're eating at this point Back up in the room, but she ends up passing out before the food even arrives. So the next morning she wakes up and she has like a hangover and um the Vicky um girl that she thought was her friend at the time, which obviously wasn't, takes her back to the room and helps her find her stuff and basically like, Okay, bye, you know, and goes on about her business. So she decides that she's gonna go find half and basically ask him, um, if she could live there, <laughs> um, she was not prepared to leave. She was like, "If I leave, basically, I'll probably never be seen again, never thought about this was like her only chance. So she goes in there and he's uh, preparing the speech for these movie nights that he has on Friday. So she goes in there and he's just like kind of you know, working, not really paying her much attention. and she's kind of like getting up the courage to ask him. So she basically says, "Can I ask you something?" And then says, Uh, What do you think about me moving in? She says, he did. He took a brief moment to consider what I had just asked before. Finally saying, you can stay for a while and we'll see how it works out. So that's essentially um, the end of chapter two. And that's how she comes to live in the mansion. So basically she asked him, could she live there? As opposed to being asked if she could live there. Um, Does she really need it? She kind of wanted to live there also. And kind of didn't really have anywhere else to go. Didn't really want to go back home. So she basically was like, hey... Obviously these other girls live here and clearly proved myself, so can I live in the house? So at this point, the end of chapter two, um he says yes, she can stay for a while and they'll see how that works out. So that is chapter two. And we'll go ahead and uh summarize do chapter three.